Thank you. It's a joy to be with you. As Jason said, we've known each other for some time now and uh, grateful for that and grateful for your church as well. We transitioned into the previous fellowship that we preceded GCC and uh, we're uh, kind of like you guys coming in as an existing church. And so we've been following you and praying for you even in this time of transition and uh, very thankful to be partnered with you together in a gospel ministry. It's an honor to stand here. I'm thankful to Jason and the elders for this opportunity to open God's word with you. Would you turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1? And just to set up our time in the passage, in 1990, uh, two men dressed as police officers tricked two 20-something security guards to let them into the Boston Museum. And they proceeded to overwhelm those men and tie them up. And in the next 81 minutes, they stole 13 pieces of art valued at $500 million. And uh, Netflix has actually done a limited series on this, the world's biggest art heist. And uh, this still to this day, despite a $10 million reward, remains the largest uh, unsolved uh, theft of art uh, in in modern history of art. And uh, one expert said this, the thieves likely succeeded due to canny planning, luck, and lax security. I'm thinking, how do you have lax security when you have 500 million and more? They didn't take everything. And it's just rather shocking. And it's an encouragement. When you have something valuable, you need to guard it. You need to protect it. You need to give proper attention to it. And I've entitled our sermon today from 2 Timothy 1, The Call to Guard the Good Deposit, which comes directly from our text. And we have something far more priceless than art in the truth of God's word, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in Holy Scripture. And we as churches, we as individuals, we as congregations, as elders teams are called to guard the truth of God's word and to be proclaimers of it and defenders of it. And so that's what I trust the Lord will encourage us in this morning in our time in the word. So look in your Bibles. I'd like to read for us from... 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. We'll read down to verse 14. Look in your copy of God's word, 2 Timothy 1, 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Paul writes, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Paul adds, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Here's our line, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this time and worship in the word. I thank you for Grace Fellowship and our partnership in gospel ministry and planting churches in seeking to strengthen and grow those churches. 
We thank you for your work in our lives as individuals, as families, as churches. It's all of you and from you and for you. And different cities and different geography and all of that, but we're united in one Savior, one Lord, one baptism. We have one hope and one future. We're one church and we're grateful for all that you're doing. And Father, now as we come to your Holy Scripture, we submit ourselves to it for your Spirit who's present within us and here in this service. He always is so faithful to take the living active word and to illuminate it to our hearts and minds, to encourage, to instruct where needed to convict and to strengthen. And so we submit ourselves asking you to do once again that thing that only you can do. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you're a note taker, three points this morning. Our first point has five sub points, and there's three commands in our passage, and so we're going to allow those three commands, those three imperatives to drive our three points. And the first imperative comes in verse 8, and it's really this instruction. You must be willing to suffer for the gospel. Now, I know that's not popular, but you must be willing to suffer for the gospel. Now, Paul begins with the word therefore in verse 8. I don't have time. I want to try to respect our time. And so I obviously that therefore is referring to what's come prior to that in chapter 1. And so you can read that uh, specifically going back to verse 7, that God gave us a spirit That's the spirit within us, not Holy Spirit, but a spirit empowered by his Holy Spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And he's given Timothy, he talked about a sincere faith, a non-hypocritical faith. Therefore, because of what God's done in us, Paul is giving Timothy these commands as he seeks to shepherd the church in Ephesus. And so it's important to understand this. And what does Paul say? Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. That's not an imperative, but it sets up the imperative. Nor of me, his prisoner. But here's the imperative. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We have these two steps. Don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Paul's chained to a Roman soldier in prison in Rome. He doesn't have that much long to, longer to live. He says, don't be ashamed of me, a prisoner of the Lord, not of Rome, even though he is, but of the Lord, and then share in suffering. Share in suffering. Now, this is an important understanding for all of us because often we're ashamed We're ashamed of the name of Jesus sometimes, sadly so, sinfully so. We're ashamed of the scriptures. We're ashamed of the church sometimes. We're we're frightened at at work or on the job site, in the classroom, sometimes in our families because people will mock us. And so we're ashamed there and we can cower sometimes in fear. And Paul says, don't be ashamed, Timothy. Now there's reasons for Timothy to be ashamed. First Timothy tells us false teachers were in the church in Ephesus. And they had been attacking Paul, and now they will attack Timothy. And maybe they come up to Timothy and say, why are you following Paul, a spiritual pastor? Why are you following your spiritual father, Paul? He's in prison in Rome. How could God be with him? We're here. You should follow us. Why would you follow Paul? And perhaps Timothy was being tempted to be ashamed of Paul and of the gospel Paul preached. It's not beyond consideration because Timothy was timid, we understand that, and he was against much opposition. And so Paul is not correcting him here. The grammar isn't a correction. The grammar is a warning. Timothy, in the days ahead, don't be ashamed of me, 
nor of the gospel, but going beyond that, it's not just not about being ashamed. It's also be willing to suffer. Literally, Paul, he says this, take your share of suffering, Timothy. Take your share of suffering. Paul suffered. He outlines to the Corinthians all the way he suffered. He's suffering now in Rome because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to stand up. I want you to take your share. Jesus suffered. Scripture says because he suffered and we're his followers, we will suffer. And so, Timothy, would you be willing to take your share? I wonder today, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are you willing to take your share of suffering? Not just to not be ashamed, although that's crucial, we shouldn't be ashamed of Jesus Christ, of the gospel of Christ, of the word of Christ, but we should go beyond not being ashamed and we should be willing to take our part. Now, it's important to understand the wording here. Paul tells Timothy, don't be ashamed, but share in suffering. Now, here it is, for the gospel. You see, many people suffer, but it's not for the gospel, it's because of their own sin. We teach in biblical counseling, there's four sources of suffering. I don't have time to go into the four sources of suffering, but it's important to understand where your suffering comes from. Because many people, and I've seen many people, who are suffering, and they think they're suffering for the gospel. They think they're suffering under persecution, but what they're actually suffering for is because they have sinned. And the Bible says, if you're suffering because of your own sin, it's not a call to persevere, it's not a call to stand up under, it's a call to what? repent, repent. But if you don't identify the source of your suffering properly and you think you're suffering persecution but you're actually suffering because of your sin, then you're gonna respond completely wrong and you're gonna stay under that suffering. So it's so important to understand. But we will suffer for the gospel. That's what Christ has called us to. Peter says it's a blessing to suffer. We don't tend to think that way in our day and age, but it's true. And we can stand under. Listen, if you're suffering for sin, repent. But if you're suffering for the gospel, persevere. Press on. Don't quit. Don't cower. Don't be ashamed. Return blessing with curses to curses. Pray for those who persecute you. Stand under it. And you say, well, I don't know if I can do that. Well, Paul tells you how you can do it here in the text. He says, share in suffering for the gospel. How? By the power of God. Isn't that wonderful? We don't think we'll be able to stand sometimes. But listen, when you get to that point, the power of God within you will enable you to stand. Paul, Peter teaches in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. Peter says, 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Listen, you should not be surprised. In Canada... Here in Canada in 2023, the fiery trial is coming. Do you understand that? We're trying to prepare our church for suffering. I'm old. I know that. I still think it will come in my life. But you younger ones, I am convinced persecution is coming in your life here in Canada. And so Peter says, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you. Why? It's coming to test you. Don't think it's something strange that is happening to you. But here it is. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And this is what Paul's encouraging Timothy. Timothy, don't cower. Timothy, don't flee. Timothy, don't be ashamed. And Timothy, take your part of the suffering willingly and joyfully. And I wonder, are you willing 
to suffer for the gospel. It's something you should decide today. Don't wait until the day it comes. Before the Lord, by the power of God, understand. Now, Paul knows Timothy's going to struggle with this. I think he understands as we, we know from the text, he thinks Timothy's going to struggle because now he's going to proceed to give five reasons why Timothy should not be ashamed of the gospel and five reasons why he should stand and share in suffering. So these are the five subpoints in our first point. Five reasons why Timothy should be willing to suffer for the gospel and should not be ashamed of the gospel. First point here, why should he be willing to? Because through it, through the gospel, you receive salvation. Through the gospel, you receive salvation. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Listen, verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of works, our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Why are we not ashamed of the gospel? In the workplace, on the job site, in the classroom, in our family, why are we not ashamed? Why are we willing to suffer for the gospel? Because the gospel is the source of our salvation. If you're saved here this morning in Christ Jesus, I hope you're not ashamed of the very message that saved your soul. And I hope you're willing to suffer to proclaim that message because others need to hear. We found salvation through the word of Christ to share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I love how Paul says he saved us. He saved us. He saved us and he's sanctifying us. Are you thankful for that? He saved us. He transferred us from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. He's a sinner made a saint, the lost being found, enemies being reconciled, stained by sin being cleansed and washed, the orphan being adopted, the guilty being forgiven, the hopeless having an eternal hope. Listen, the word of God, this book, Holy Scripture, the word of Christ, the gospel of Christ, proclaims in no uncertain terms something we shouldn't be ashamed of and we should be willing to suffer to proclaim. There is salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we, tell me, what? Must be saved. We're lost and on our way to eternity in hell. We must be saved, not by ourselves, not by anything we can do, but by the name of Jesus Christ, his work on the cross and his resurrection. There's salvation in no one else. It's important to understand that. The gospel saves us. And calls us to a holy salvation, he says. He saved us in Christ Jesus. He saved us and called us to a holy calling. I think that's salvation and called us to a holy calling as our sanctification. Listen, can I say it this way? I know it's not popular today, but there's no other religion on planet earth. There's no other truth. Every other religion, listen, I know it's not popular, is a lie. And it will only damn you to eternity in hell. There's only one name. There's only one way. There's only one gospel. So we're not ashamed of that gospel and we're willing to suffer to proclaim it because it's the means of salvation, of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of eternal life. And then Paul adds, it's not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. There's so much theology here. Just touch on it briefly here. It's not because of our works. You understand that, right? Peter teaches that, or uh, Paul teaches that in, in Ephesians. You're saved by grace through faith, and it's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. It's not by works, lest anyone should boast. And it's according to God's own purpose and grace. You know what that means? Your salvation is a 100% working of God. 
but I prayed and I understood. Yes, you did. But scripture teaches very clearly you did all of that because of what he did. It's his purpose and his will. His purpose and his grace has saved you. Peter, uh, Paul teaches in Ephesians, he, before the foundation of the world, that's before you and I were born, he chose you. Now, I don't know how that fits with whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, but both are there, all right? I'm not smart enough to figure that out. I don't think any of us are, but scripture teaches that. It's a wonderful truth that God has poured out his love according to his purpose and saved you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all of grace. So I hope you're encouraged by that. This is why we're not ashamed. This is why we're willing to suffer because through the gospel we've been saved. But second point, Paul says, not only through the gospel have we received our salvation, but through the gospel we've actually received Jesus Christ. We've received Jesus. He goes on, he saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. He gave us in Christ. Listen, our salvation is wonderful, isn't it? From my understanding, there's over 30 things that happen at the moment of salvation. You're, you're, you're reconciled and you're, you're redeemed and you're forgiven and you're cleansed and you're adopted and on and on. There's all these things. But listen, the greatest gift of salvation is what? Jesus Christ. It's all in him and through him and by him and for him. We receive Jesus. Heaven's going to be wonderful. The older I get, the more, the more I look forward to it. It's going to be wonderful. But the greatest thing about heaven is what? Jesus is there. One of my friends at the church, and he's a little older than me, and he's had a, saved out of a homosexual lifestyle and just God's reading. He said, the, the, most, the thing I look forward to more than anything else is to be hugged by Jesus, to know of his love. It just overwhelms him to tears every week now. And he's so just in love with Jesus. Listen, the greatest gift we have is Christ, our greatest identity. I hope you understand that your greatest identity is that you are in Jesus Christ. He is ours and we are his. And so why would we be ashamed of that message? Why would we not be willing to suffer for that message? Not just salvation, but Jesus Christ himself, God himself, and Paul gives a little theology here of this Jesus Christ before the ages began. He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This again is that purpose of God. Before the foundation of the world, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. It's wonderful. He poured out his love, the Father did, and said to his son to save you because he loved you before the ages began. The scripture says you were predestined, you were elected. Again, I'm not going to argue about that. It's just scripture says that, how all that fits. That's just in God's mind and understanding. It's just a beautiful truth. You see, God sits outside of time and space. We understand that. We don't know what will happen in the next five minutes. None of us do. We're limited. We're limited with this, this serial sort of this and this and this. Uh, to illustrate, I heard this before and it helped me. We used to live in Los Angeles. As Jason said, we went to seminary there and, and for four years. And we would go watch the Rose Bowl parade. Some of you have seen that on TV in Pasadena. Huge parade on New Year's Day. And we'd pay for a bleacher seat and you sit there and it's an you know, hour-long parade. And it's around a corner. You can see floats coming and horses and bands. And you can only see what's coming next. You're limited as it goes by you. 
But then on TV, they have a Goodyear blimp up there and they can see the whole parade beginning to end. They can see how things are in order, right? There's this and this and this, but they can see the entire thing. And that for me in my simple mind helps me see sort of the perspective. I, in life, I'm sitting on a bleacher and I can't see what's coming five minutes from now. I can only see what's there. But God, he sits above time and space. He can see the beginning from the end. And that's why we have such hope. Because there's no uncertainty with God. And in his purpose, he's called us and saved us. And in his sovereignty, as, as here he's put us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. It's such a wonderful reality. It's why we're not ashamed. It's why we're willing to suffer. But he goes on and he says, not only has he, he's, before the ages began, but he says now, in verse 10, now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death. Now, Paul, that was in Paul's day. Right? The promise was there. Salvation was coming. And now, for Paul, it's in his lifetime. He would have seen Jesus. He would have heard Jesus. He didn't believe in him. But he for sure saw Jesus, heard his teaching. He didn't believe on him until after the resurrection on the road to Damascus, right? But Paul says, in our day, Titus says, the grace of God has appeared through Jesus Christ. Now he's come. What was, what was told and predestined before time began has now been brought to fruition. It has now been manifested by the appearing of our Savior. Such an encouragement through, through Jesus Christ. So, so we're not ashamed and we're willing to suffer because we've received salvation through the word of God and we've received Jesus himself. And he'll come back one day in that final appearing. The third reason why we're not ashamed and the third reason why we're willing to suffer, not only because of salvation, not only because of Jesus, but then Paul says, because through it, the gospel, you've received life. You've received eternal life. His own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through his appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I hope that's an encouragement to you. If you're getting older, it sure is. Because we have now conquered death. We love to proclaim the gospel and we're willing to suffer to put the word of the gospel, the word of Christ out there because it is the only way to deal with death because it's the only way sin is dealt with. Then it gives us eternal hope. Listen, our greatest enemy is defeated. Every time you look in the mirror, now you younger ones, you're on the way up. All right, it's not as obvious, but still with every breath, you're one step closer to the end. Sorry, but you are. But you and I who are kind of peaked and on the other side, every time you look, you can put all the money you want into anti-aging cream. You can do all of the exercises. God bless you. That's good. The billions that are spent in our world to defeat death are useless <laughs> because it's coming for everybody. But it's a defeated enemy. It's toothless. It has no sting because of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is such an important encouragement. The appearing of Jesus Christ, he came before, so we know he's coming again. He's come in, 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 in as a man, and he's defeated sin and death. And through Christ and his cross and his resurrection, we have received eternal life. 
This is why we love this book. This is why we love this Bible. This is why we love the gospel. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel in Romans 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. I'm not ashamed and I'm willing to suffer. Paul says, are you willing to take your part in suffering for this message, which is the only message that can defeat the ultimate enemy? Paul says here that death is defeated. That word means abolished. It means conquered. It means it's made ineffective. It's powerless. Just a month and a half, two months ago, I did a funeral for an 18-year-old in our church, and he was killed in an accident. His parents were in Hawaii, got the call, just can't imagine. And I didn't know them very well at all, never met them. But to find out as I sat with them and that mom and dad got so serious about their faith a year, year and a half ago and growing in Christ. And Ryan had a faith in Jesus Christ and it was horrific and so difficult to go through. But listen, they, they, they just insisted at the funeral, the gospel be proclaimed because they knew he wasn't dead. He was more alive than ever. You only get that through the good news of Jesus Christ. So why would we be ashamed? Why would we not be willing to suffer to proclaim that message? He says it's brought life and immortality to life. We who were once dead now have life, eternal life. It's such a wonderful encouragement. This is why we're willing to suffer Thank God for our missionaries here today and so many others. Listen, most of the suffering we have right now, somebody's going to laugh at us, mock us. Maybe we'll lose a friend. And we struggle with that. But the day is coming when it's going to be like in these other countries. We must decide today. We're not ashamed of the gospel and we're willing to suffer because it's the means of salvation and through it we get Jesus Christ and we receive life. And in verse 11, Paul gives a fourth reason why and it's through the gospel we receive pur purpose. Paul gives his own testimony for which I was appointed a preacher, apostle, and teacher. Now just for time's sake, I'm not gonna take much on this. Paul's just giving his personal calling but listen every one of us has been gifted and called at salvation you've been given spiritual gifts you've been given ways and means to serve and edify the body of Christ you have a purpose whatever your role is and Paul says I was an apostle and a teacher and a preacher you kind of understand what those mean but the whole point is that you have received a purpose I'm not ashamed of the gospel and I'm willing to suffer because I have a purpose for being here all not just the clergy Every Christian has a purpose that you've received through the gospel, so don't be ashamed. The fifth reason why we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel is through it we've received salvation and Jesus himself and life and purpose. And then verse 12, hope. We have an e a hope, an eternal hope because of the gospel. Paul says, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. Many of you know that verse. Many of you have memorized it. Such an encouraging verse. Paul says, this is why I suffer as I do. And he's not ashamed. He's sitting as he writes this in a stinking, rotten, smelling, dark, depressing prison. He knows his death is coming. And he's chained to a Roman soldier who doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want that task. Would you want to sit in a stinking, smelly dungeon prison in Rome, chained to a criminal, 
Paul was mistreated and abused probably, but he says, listen, Timothy, I'm not ashamed because I'm not a prisoner of Rome nor this Roman soldier. I'm a prisoner of God. It's his will that I be here. I'm not ashamed. Timothy, take your part in suffering. Why is Paul not ashamed? He tells us, for I know, I know. That's a personal knowledge. The word used here is of per- I know personally. I wonder, do you know Jesus in that way? This is why it's so important to abide with Christ, to grow in your love for Jesus, that you could say, no matter what persecution comes against you, I know God loves me. I know I'm the apple of his eye. I know he's with me, even though all these things look terrible. I'm convinced, Paul says, that he is able. Isn't that wonderful? Love that song, He is Able. It's an older song. Love that. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. Paul says, I've tested it and tried it. I know that he is able, that Jesus is able to what? Guard until that day. What day? Until judgment day. Until that day when I stand before him. It's a wonderful confidence we have through the gospel. Why we're not ashamed of it. You should, as a Christian, have a personal, intimate assurance that I know he is able to guard that which has been entrusted to me. I think by that, Paul means what has been entrusted to him is his salvation. He says, what has been entrusted to me, now that you have a footnote probably in your Bible, that could be translated what has been entrusted to him. What Paul, I think, is saying is, I'm convinced that he is able to guard what's been entrusted, which is me and my salvation. It's not dependent on how strong my faith is. You ever have days where your faith is bad? It's just weak. Maybe it's only me. Sometimes I have to pick up the carpet and look underneath to find my faith. Like it's weak. Listen, your salvation is not dependent on how strong your faith is. Your salvation is dependent on the object of your faith, Jesus Christ and the finished work on the cross. So we're not ashamed and we're willing to suffer for him. Beloved, please, please, please understand the gospel. Understand the word of God. Paul says, be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Secondly, he goes, our second point, our second imperative comes in verse 13. Not only be willing to suffer for the gospel, be faithful to the gospel. Some people are willing to suffer for the gospel. They actually want to fight for the gospel. Some people love a good argument. They love to debate. They love to fight. Sometimes I wonder, do they love Jesus or do they just love winning an argument? But it's more than just being willing to suffer for the gospel. We're called to be faithful to the gospel. And Paul says this in verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So important to understand this. Follow is our imperative. Follow. We have the imperative be willing to suffer. And here the second imperative is to follow. To follow the pattern. The word follow, as a, is, as some of you, if you sew, perhaps not as popular these days, but you have a pattern, you lay it on the cloth, you mark the cloth, and then you have a pattern to follow. If you are a builder, you have your architectural plans. I'm a, I'm a wannabe handyman. I have some tools and I think I can do some things. I know you real skilled people. You would laugh at me. I get it. I want to be you. I'm jealous. But you have a plan, and I search the internet for free plans because I'm cheap. And you have a plan, and seldom does my project look like the plan, but that's the goal. You understand what a pattern is, a blueprint is. That's what the word means here. 
Follow the example of. Paul says, I'm your pattern. Remember what he said to the Corinthians? Follow me as I follow Christ. And so we, we look to those who God has put in our lives as spiritual leaders as they follow Christ because they're a pattern we can see more clearly. And Paul says, follow my example, but not just my example. He says, follow the sound words. The sound words. Sound words is a, a word in the Greek that means healthy. It's a word we get hygiene. I, I, I'm thankful by faith I'm saying this, that you all practice good hygiene this morning. The people around you are thankful you practice good hygiene this morning. Healthy, sound, biblical words. It's used in chapter 4, verse 3, the same word there. Paul says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound, healthy, hygienic teaching. We're in that day now, aren't we? People won't listen to sound words, healthy words. They embrace lies, nonsense. And Paul says, listen, follow, imperative command, follow the sound, healthy words, the, 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 the life-giving words. Why, why do we love scripture? Why do we love the gospel of Christ? Because through it, we have salvation and the truth that tells us why we're here and how we got here and what life's about and how we can be forgiven and be reconciled and have eternal life. These are sound words. These are healthy words. The world's full of lies. And we're in that Romans 1 spiral down where there are futile minds and foolish hearts. It's getting worse and worse by the week. And they're embracing lies. And you think, how can so many smart people embrace utter foolishness? Because their minds have not and their hearts have not been regenerated. But we have the word of Christ. We have the only hope for this world. Why would we be ashamed? Why would we not be willing to suffer? And why, why, listen, why would we not follow, live out these words? Paul says, you've heard these things from me. And these words, these sound words are in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The gospel of faith, the love that comes from Jesus to us, to others. Beloved, we're called to be faithful to the gospel, to hold to the truth. False teachers are constantly trying to convince the Ephesians of errors and of lies and of darkness, and Timothy must stand against them. And in our day and age, the church is under a bombardment by lies and false teachers, and we must hold to the healthy, sound words of Scripture. We must live those out, and we must proclaim those. We must check everything. I would encourage you this morning, check every word I say to the word of God. We encourage our church to be a heads down church. It thrills a preacher's heart when he says something from the text and you see heads go down to check it. Is it really there? And sometimes people come afterwards, a few days after and say, I I'm sorry to ch challenge or question. It's like, no, no, this is wonderful. My goal is to challenge you so you go home and dig deeper, right? Be a person of the book. And then seek to live out the truth that's here. And can I say this? If someone is saying or teaching or calling you to something that does not line up with God's word, run. Flee. I just encouraged our people last weekend from the end of 2 Timothy. If we ever stop preaching the word of Jesus Christ, please, please, please leave our church as quickly as you can. Because it's not about us as leaders. It's not about our ideas. It's about the word of God. Because that's the power of God. 
unto salvation and sanctification. And there's too many people, and listen, this thing called the internet, I, we, I saw it develop, I saw it grow. I came out of IT. Like it's, I remember some of you, it wasn't there. I know some of you can't believe you could ever live without it. But, but listen, it's a wonderful gift in so many ways, but it's a horrendous curse because it has brought false teachers around the world into everybody's home. You need to be more careful than ever because they abound. Test everything to the word of God. Be careful, be careful, beloved. Be faithful to the gospel. Watch your doctrine. Watch what goes into your heart and mind. Watch what you're learning. Test everything. Be faithful to follow. The third command comes in verse 14. Not only be willing to suffer for the word of God, not only be faithful to the word of God, but our third imperative is to be protective of the gospel to be protective of the gospel. And Paul encourages this, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. That word guard is our imperative. That's why I've entitled my sermon, Guard the Good Deposit, to be protective. I, I don't mean be obnoxiously offensive to your friends and family, all right? Some people are. And we're not to be offensive. Do you understand that? We're to be loving and kind and gracious, but we're to be a people of the book and the book is always offensive because this book, this gospel confronts all of us in our understanding, in our belief, in what we put our faith and trust in, in our pride, in our self-centeredness, in all of those things. And it calls us to humble ourselves and to empty ourselves and to fall. Listen, the only thing you bring to salvation is your sin. And you must, uh, you must repent of all things and come to Christ empty-handed, pleading with him to save you. And can I tell you, you're not worthy to be saved, but you're worthy because he saved you. That is a confrontive message to our world today. And that there's one way and only one way, Jesus Christ, is a, world, is a message that is offensive to our world today. But we must guard the good deposit. It's a crucial truth. It's interesting, in verse 12, Paul says, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced, listen, that he is able to guard until that day. What is it? Paul knows his salvation is secure in Jesus Christ, that he will guard, he will guard. And now, though, in verse 14 comes the imperative, Paul, you must guard the word of God and the message of the gospel. In grammar, and we actually teach this as well in, 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 in our biblical counseling, it's important to understand the indicative comes before the imperative. I'll explain that in a minute. But it's important to understand here, to guard. We're, we're, listen, God does something for us so that we can do what we're called to do. It's the indicative and the imperative. Now, I got 51 in grade 13 English. Some of you don't remember. There was three, five, five high, years in high school, but I got 51. <laughs> I was proud I passed. I hated grammar. I love grammar now, but I still butcher it regularly. It baffles me the Lord has enabled me to make my, be a pastor and preach because I'm terrible at the English language. Don't know any other language either. But I love grammar, I just struggle with it. But, but the indicative comes before the imperative. Why is this important? Be because he, he's, he's helping them understand here. And he starts by saying, by the Holy Spirit. Now that's crucial. 
You, you see, the indicative means it's a statement of fact of what God's done for you. And what God has done for you enables you to obey the imperative. We don't obey the imperative by trying harder, being better, being more determined. If you're doing that, you're failing all the time. But by faith, trusting in what God has done, now you have the power of God in you to obey the imperative. Jesus told his disciples, remember in John 16, 7, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. Now, can you imagine the, the, the apostles at that time? I'm sure Peter spoke up because he was always the first. What do you mean it's to our advantage you go away? We've been three years for you, with you, Jesus. We want you here with us. It's not good for us to go away. You're wrong. I would be that same way. We, so often, we like, I, I love for Jesus. First of all, if Jesus was here this morning, I'd be sitting down there and he'd be up here, right? But we would love for Jesus to be with us. What's better than Jesus with us? Tell me, Jesus in us. He said in John, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, capital H, Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And so when Paul says here, he says, you have the Holy Spirit. He's going to come. He lives within you by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit. You see, God has already done all that you need, Christian. So that now, by the power of his spirit within you, you can do your part to guard the good deposit. We as churches can do our part, not because we've organized well and structured and networked and we have resources, but because God's spirit is empowering his church. We can now, the indicative enables the imperative. We can now, because of what he's already done, obey the imperative and guard the good deposit. It's important to understand that, to strengthen, to guard. Listen. It was bizarre that that museum in Boston had two young, inexperienced, poorly trained security guards to guard over $500 million of artwork. What an utter failure to guard something so priceless. But we have something far beyond. It literally is priceless. We've been entrusted with the word of Christ, the gospel of salvation, the word of God. And he calls us to not be ashamed of it or the Lord of the gospel, to be willing to suffer, to live out what he's taught us, and to be a church and a people who guard the good deposit. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this encouragement from Paul at the end of his life. When we think about sitting, maybe some of us have done that with loved ones and who are coming to the end, those last words carry so much weight doesn't make previous words untrue, but it's such an encouragement. And thank you for Paul's strengthening of young Timothy to strengthen the church in Ephesus and by your preserving of these words that are inspired by your Holy Spirit, these scripture, we now have this call to us, these three commands, that because of what you have done, you enable us as Christians, as families, as a church, as churches, to carry out our mission, to be faithful to the word of God. Father, I pray for Grace Fellowship here in a city like Toronto that is in such desperate need. As, as, as Toronto is like London, they're spiraling down into such utter lostness and futility and so blinded by sin. The only hope for our world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Help us to be faithful in this in all ways. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.